Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Welcome to session five of Momentum. Now, we all want the fruit of forgiveness and purity and peace in our lives, but you don't get the fruit without the roots and the life. And it's the desire for righteousness that brings the blessings of forgiveness, purity, and peace within your reach. We've seen that there's a roots life fruit pattern to the Beatitudes. The first three Beatitudes form the roots of a godly life. And since these roots lie in an awareness of our own need, they produce a deep longing for what we do not have. Becoming poor in spirit, mourning over your sins, and submitting your life to God will produce a deep hunger and thirst for righteousness in your soul. And this desire is the life of godliness, and it will produce the beautiful fruit of forgiveness and purity and peace that lie ahead of us as we continue to pursue God's blessings through the Beatitudes. We come today to the words of Jesus about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Now, the Bible speaks about righteousness in two distinct ways, and it's important to distinguish between them. First, there's the righteousness that Christ gives you. Christ is our righteousness. That means that the righteousness on which we depend is in Him, and it's not in us. See, Christ lived the fully righteous life that we have failed to live, even at our Christian best. He laid down his perfect life as a sacrifice for our sins, and now he offers his righteousness to all who will trust in him. And this marvelous gift is sometimes referred to as imputed righteousness, which simply means righteousness that belongs to another being counted as ours. But along with the righteousness that Christ gives you, the Bible also speaks about a righteousness to which he calls you. This is what Jesus was referring to when he spoke about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Now, if someone asked you, why did Jesus die? You could give several answers that would be faithful to the Bible. Christ died so that we might be forgiven. He died so that we might have eternal life. But listen to the answer given by the Apostle Peter. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The Apostle Paul says the same thing. God sent his Son and condemned sin in the flesh. That's a marvelous reference to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But why did he do it? In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Christ died so that we should live for righteousness. And the distinguishing mark of those who are righteous in Christ is that they long for righteousness. They hunger and thirst for it. Now, hunger is a sign of need. When you're hungry, your body is telling you something. It's been too long since your last meal and you need to eat. Hunger indicates the absence of food in the body. It's the body's awareness of its own need. 
So the mark of a true Christian is not that you feel righteous, but that you long to be more righteous than you are. When it comes to righteousness, the blessed people are not those who think that they have it, but those who feel their need of it. And that's good news for us, because the first three Beatitudes have convinced us of our need and brought us to the place where we want to grow in righteousness. Aren't you glad that Jesus did not say, blessed are the righteous? Where would that leave us? Thank God, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So it's not the realization of the desire, but the desire itself that Jesus pronounces blessed. Now, hunger is also a sign of life and of health. Losing your appetite may be a sign of illness, but when your appetite returns, it's usually a sign of recovery. In the same way, knowing that you need to grow in Christ and thirsting to be more like him, that's a sure sign of spiritual health. When it comes to the pursuit of righteousness, true Christians never feel that they have arrived. They always long for more. It's natural for us to hunger for happy families, for growing churches, and fulfilling life experiences. We hunger for God to give us long life with peace and security and prosperity. But what about righteousness? What do you know about hungering and thirsting for this? Now, hunger is more than a vague interest. It's an intense desire that motivates us to action. A person who's really hungry will do almost anything to get food. Hunger is the strongest of motives. It produces energy and it drives action that's going to make a difference, not only at home, but at the church and also in the world of work. Now think about the professions in which many people serve. I'm thinking about business and finance and medicine and construction and insurance and real estate. Every one of these is its own world of complexity. Each of them has a whole series of ethical questions. Where are the boundaries between legitimate competition and destructive aggression? What's the difference between using the systems of your profession and manipulating them? Where's the line between appropriate reward and raw self-interest? In any line of business, there are people who need to be restrained so that they don't exploit others. So in every profession, we have regulation, endless documents, processes, and procedures to be followed. Why? Because people can't be trusted to do the right thing. But every law has its loopholes, and human ingenuity is always going to find them. So regulation brings restraint, but it can't bring righteousness. So what hope is there for righteousness in the world where you work? There's only one, and that is that some people will actually want it, that they'll hunger and thirst for it. Think about the impact of even a few people in your business or in your profession who really hunger and thirst for righteousness. People who instead of asking, what's in it for me, would ask, what would honor God? What would be good for others as well as for me? Ask God to make you that kind of person. Now, how can you cultivate a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness? Some time ago, when I was preaching on this fourth beatitude, a member of our congregation made a comment that I found really helpful. Hunger is natural, she said, but appetite can be cultivated. Now, that's a useful distinction. 
Hunger for righteousness arises from within, and it is formed by the Holy Spirit in the soul of every person who's been born again. But appetite can and it should be cultivated. See, Paul says, train yourself for godliness. And he clearly is communicating that there are some things that we can do that will actually help us to move forward in a life that is pleasing to God. A friend of mine who survived a major heart attack told me his ordeal was like an elephant sitting on his chest. In the kindness of God, he made a good recovery, and that involved a complete change of diet. When I asked him what he liked to eat before, he said, burgers, fries, pizza, and ice cream. So no surprise that the doctor told him he needed a complete change of diet. When he heard what the new diet was, low fat, low sodium, vegetables, fish, chicken that's grilled, not fried, and some rice, well, my friend said, this is gonna be absolute torture. So I asked him how the change had gone. And he said, you know, at first, the diet seemed bland, tasteless. But after a while, I thought, you know, this is not so bad. He felt better. He had more energy. Burgers and fries still smell good, he said. But over a period of about two months, my appetite actually changed. See, appetite can be cultivated, and diet shapes appetite over time. In the study this week, I've identified five strategies for cultivating a godly appetite. Here are three. First, you will grow in your hunger for righteousness as you gain momentum from the first three Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, as we've seen in this series, are progressive. Each one assumes the others that have gone before. So you can't simply begin with hungering for righteousness. You have to start from the beginning. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to spend, you know, a week being poor in spirit and a month mourning over your sins before you can move on. The momentum of realizing your poverty before God, seeing your own sins, and submitting yourself to the will of God may actually happen at the same time. But as you do these things, you are going to find that a true hunger for righteousness grows from these roots. The momentum of realizing your poverty before God and seeing your own sins and submitting yourself to the will of God may happen at the same time. But as you do these things, you're going to find that a true hunger for righteousness grows from these roots. Now, second, you will grow in your hunger for righteousness as you practice fasting from legitimate pleasures. See, one sure way to spoil your appetite is to snack between meals. If you snack on chips through the day, you won't have much appetite for dinner. But there's nothing wrong with a bag of chips. The point is simply that eating at the wrong time and in the wrong amount will ruin your appetite. Now, let's apply that to the world of the soul. Legitimate pleasures at the wrong time and in the wrong amount will spoil your appetite for righteousness. They'll make you dull and sluggish in your following after Christ. So how can you keep the legitimate pleasures of life, like sports and travel and hobbies, in their proper place? Well, one answer is by periodically fasting from legitimate pleasures. Now, fasting is a means of heightening self-control. 
It's a special gift that can be used to help you master something that otherwise might master you. If your diet has created an appetite that you now see is holding you back from a more useful life, implement a fast. Take a month without TV or computer games or without golf or without buying new clothes or without leisure travel. Drop a sport for a semester. You'll be surprised at the freedom that this can bring you. People who adopt our culture's I want it all and I want it now mindset are like a river that breaks into multiple streams. Their desire is dissipated and it loses its power. The force of a river comes when all of its streams converge into one channel, and that's where the principle of fasting comes in. Third, your appetite for righteousness will grow as you believe the promise of Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see, those who choose the wrong thirsts will never be satisfied. Hell is a place of unending hungers and thirsts where the soul is always being destroyed because it can never be fulfilled. But the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're blessed because they will be satisfied. The book of Revelation gives us a wonderful glimpse of what Christ's people will enjoy when they're before the throne of God. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them into springs of living water. God's people will be satisfied because Christ will give us the righteousness that we seek. Christ is our righteousness, and here's what that means. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, your hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Your holiness begun in this life will be complete in the presence of Jesus, and you will sin no more. And when you see Jesus, you're going to be like him. Sin will no longer be in you or in the people around you. There will be a new heaven, there will be a new earth, and it will be the home of righteousness. And all who have hungered and thirsted for righteousness will be there. Now, hope is always the key to change. And you can trust Jesus Christ to complete his redeeming work in you on that day. And you can trust him to move it forward in your life right now.